Welcome back to the In-Laws Podcast. I'm Brianne. And I'm Sophia. We're two law students who created this podcast to talk about law school, law talk, and everything in between. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the In-Laws Pod and our law school pages at Law and at Brianne and Law. For this week's episode, we're going to be chatting with our guest, Renelle, one of our besties from TikTok and who we've met in person. And so her socials are Ronell underscore underscore, and she's a rising 3L at the University of New Hampshire. And we'll be talking about the bar exam, Wisconsin Diploma Privilege, and the UNH program that Ronell is a part of. Hello, Ronell. Welcome. <laughs> it's nice to be here. Yeah, acting like we aren't talking literally every day in the group chat. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, in a long time to talk. Long time being 30 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the, the first question we like to ask people is why you chose law school? So I chose law school because, well, I was definitely one of those people where other people were telling me you're going to be a lawyer one day. And I was like, absolutely not. Because I thought I was going to go to school for performing arts or something like that. Like that was my dream in like middle school, early high school. Um, until I realized that I was a good advocate and I wanted to advocate for people in my community, particularly people that come from marginalized backgrounds. Um, and I wanted to use law school as a tool for me to better serve those people. So that's why I chose law school. You're like very politically engaged too. Like you do a lot in your community. Do you want to like talk about some of the things that you do? Yeah. So that's honestly another reason why I came to law school is because I wanted to be a better organizer. So um, I'm a racial justice organizer. I co-founded Black Lives Matter Manchester, not affiliated with the national organization when I was like 17 years old. And then that kind of like popped off in the summer of 2020 after George Floyd was murdered. Um, And so after that, I served on the New Hampshire Commission on Law Enforcement and accountability, community, and transparency, which I was appointed to by the governor. And I got a lot of opportunities to um, work in the realm of racial justice and the nonprofit space as well. Um, I also recently became a part of the Reproductive Freedom Fund New Hampshire. So I'm a board member for that. And I also sat on the Mayor's Multicultural Advisory Council. That's yeah. what it is a lot. Yeah. And I was literally, I started doing all that when I was like, like, obviously, in the early days of BLM Manchester, I was, like, 16, 17. But when everything, like, really popped off, I was, like, 2021. 20, and so, like, I would find myself in these spaces and be, like, what am I doing here? Like, who am I sitting around? Who am I talking to right now? Like, this is insane. And it definitely became a lot. Um, and so, like, I've since, like, stepped back a little bit from all of those roles because like obviously law school is a full-time job in and of itself so um yeah it's kind of what I'm involved in but yeah it definitely is a lot so you definitely do a lot of political work a lot of advocacy work what type of legal work are you interested in after graduation so I definitely came to law school with the intent to do criminal defense. And like a lot of people, I went through that struggle, you know, do I want to do private defense? Do I want to do public defense? So I spent the past two or like last summer and also this summer working at a firm doing um, defense work there, but also doing uh, some like civil litigation. Um, ultimately, I want to do criminal defense, but also do civil rights work, anti-discrimination work, and ultimately do like impact litigation. So I'd love to work in the realm of reproductive justice, um, something with racial justice, anything like along those lines I would like to do. A few years ago, I thought I'd be doing like immigration law, but obviously immigration does not look the same in New Hampshire that it does in like, like New Mexico or Texas. So, um, that's kind of been put on the back burner. But I was talking to one of the attorneys at my job today and they were like, yeah, there is an attorney here and he's basically the only one in the immigration practice group. So if I went there, then that's something that I could explore. (laughs) So weird. I was interested in immigration work before, like significantly before coming to law school. And I just don't think it's something that I could ever handle. Like, I think that it would fuck me up on an emotional level that I would never recover from. And that's exactly what I expect to happen. Um, I think that's going to (laughs) happen. I think that's going to happen with me in criminal defense as well. So I don't know how long I'm going to do that for. Um, I don't know how I can just see the system tear these people's lives apart and, you know, walk into work the next day and have to do it all over again. I know it's going to take a lot out of me. 
um, to say the least. And so I don't know how long I'll be able to do that for, which is why I see myself eventually moving into some impact litigation, working for like an organization that does um, some advocacy work. So because of that, do you feel like law school has changed what you thought you wanted to do? Or maybe just like the experiences that you've had have changed what you wanted to do? I think it has in a way, especially because I feel like when you come from like this kind of background, when you're like a person of color, um, just really somebody from a low income background, you kind of have a tunnel vision as to what law school is and as to what is available for life after law school. And so I feel like it's common for all of us to say, we're going to become public defenders and that's going to be the goal. That's what we're going to do. And that's how we're going to serve our community. And then I got to law school and I heard about all of these other things that people do, all of these other different practice areas that exist. And I was kind of, I'm still surprised every single day, um, just hearing about the kind of work that people do um, in different practice areas. So it's definitely changed in a sense. I feel like I still have the same end goal, but how to get there, I feel like has kind of changed a bit. Okay. Yeah. People also just make it seem like those transitions don't happen when they do all the time. They just like, those are not the people that they encourage us to talk to or like put on panels and stuff, Mm -hmm. which is annoying because most people pivot, like so many people pivot or just do multiple things to begin with. So many people do. And I know a lot of people that even do it within the first like year of practicing, which is insane. Um, and I feel like, like you said, they need to have more people like that on panels at law schools because like it happens and it's okay. Like it's okay to change your mind. You're not the same person that you were when you came to law school, um, hopefully. So it's okay to kind of change your mind about what you want to do in the future because it's a career, you know, it's like, it's an investment. So it's important that I guess we talk about how okay it is to change your mind about what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Getting into the socials. So you had all your social media before law school, but what motivated you to start talking about law school on them? (laughs) So yeah, I did have my social media before law school. The niche was completely different. I made videos with my boyfriend and we capitalized off of um, the fame that we got from that without saying too much. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If you know, you know. (laughs) Um, obviously we're not together anymore. And I had like all of these followers and I wanted people to still care about me outside of that relationship, but they didn't know anything about me. Nobody knew like what I did outside of being this guy's girlfriend. And I have some substance to me, you know? So I was like, you know what, I'm going to make these videos so that people one know more about me, but two, like black women only make up 2% of legal profession. And so I thought it was important for me to show people that it is um, not as accessible as it could be, but we are here and um, you know, we're doing the damn thing. So that's kind of why I made videos. I had no idea there was like a law talk community either. I kind of just like, I followed like a couple of people, but I didn't know that it was like such a, like a niche on TikTok. Um, And then I discovered you guys (laughs) and then some other people. And that's kind of, I feel like I became immersed in law talk when I started following you guys. (laughs) Yeah, I think I, I actually probably spent the first like four or five months posting videos, not realizing that like law talk was a thing, especially because when I started posting videos, the majority of the people who were active on law talk were not the kinds of people that I wanted to follow. <laughs> um, so I just didn't really get, I just didn't really get involved in the community. Uh, I think until like, honestly, your guys's one L year when there were different kinds of accounts being made. Right, right. I feel like when I started, there was very much already a law talk because I had a personal TikTok where I started following law students. Mm-hmm. And I was like, like before law school, and I was like, um, I don't really want to like use this account if I start talking about school. And that's why I made like a separate one. And I like retired the personal one. I literally don't use it. And so then it was like immediately 
law talk. Like everything was law talk on my for you page. But yeah. I still um I still suffer from the for you page that is not at all law talk. Like just <laughs> not I get more like med school content than I get law school content at this point. Interesting. Yeah, I have no idea why. I get some med school con- content. I also get like dental school content. Dental school? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Maybe it's a sign to start studying in the dental school if you guys have one. Maybe that's where my husband is. We don't have one, but Boston has a couple, I think. So I just need to make a little drive. Hello. Welcome to the dental school. Okay, speaking of like law talk and representation and stuff, there is very obviously a certain push in the algorithm for rich white creators, which I think we've probably talked about in close to like half of our episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are like across a crossroads because you are African. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> We're talking about all my identities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's honestly, I find it extremely frustrating because I sometimes just sit and think that there are so many people who would appreciate the messages that I have to share and um, the experiences that I have to share and like all of that. And so it's so frustrating that TikTok does that. and they are, you know, just pushing all of these rich white creators um, within the legal profession too, within like law talk, which is insane to me because I feel like those experiences are very prevalent in law school. You know, there are people who already came here with money. There are people who um, have family members who are attorneys or judges and they come from like um, a family of lawyers. And so I think it's, disheartening that we don't really get a chance to share our stories because I feel like there are so many more people who we can help because those stories are um like fewer and far in between but yeah um African law student representation on TikTok I love any that's my girl um (laughs) and then Charlie who is from Canada we actually, I, she found out a little while ago that I'm Congolese. She didn't know that I was Congolese. She was like, there's no way. She was in this video speaking uh, Lingala and also French. And I was like, me only being able to understand the French because I can't speak our native language. And she was like, what? Like, there's no way you're Congolese. And I was like, girl, yeah, I am. Um, <laughs> so I wonder how many people don't know that I'm African. I wonder how many people don't know that. Huh. I should like make a video talking about how you know I'm a little Congolese gal (laughs) yeah what's what's annoying to me like about how TikTok treats especially your account is like you have a lot of followers like you have over a hundred thousand followers but TikTok is not treating your videos like you have over a hundred thousand followers and that's so show my videos to like three percent of my followers I don't even know if that's um if that's accurate it might even be lower than that it's insane like 130,000 followers and I get like maybe I'm lucky if I get 600 views now (laughs) like like it's a good day for me if I break a thousand it's truly so disrespectful (laughs) so disrespectful it's very disrespectful yes but I don't know I'm I'm like not sometimes I go through phases where I'm very discouraged and I'm like okay like I'm not posting anymore they don't appreciate me and the woman that I am but then I'm like you know what you know, I'm documenting my life. Like, it's fun to make videos. Like, I really enjoy making videos. And I feel like it helps me helps me grow in, like, other ways, which is, like, super sappy and, like, you know, hard to get into. Um, but I just feel like being able to document my life and seeing, like, how far I've come is really important to me. And I can't wait until, like, I'm done law school and I can look back at all of these and be like, oh, you sweet little soul. <laughs> I think about that, like, even getting the, like, your video a year ago things or whatever from TikTok. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I feel like I look so different, even though I probably really don't. But I, like, feel like I do. I'm literally scrolling through my account right now and just like looking at like just just I don't know I'm just like looking at myself and I'm like what how do you look like that like are you the same person (laughs) giving no (laughs) 
I don't like this. I don't like the the feature on TikTok that it's showing the videos from a year ago because a year ago I was in New York having the time of my fucking life and now I'm just <laughs> all of the time. Oh my God. It's depressing. Big change, big change. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you are being a guest on our podcast, but you also have a podcast. Do I? <laughs> so yes, uh, I started a podcast with um, three other Black women on TikTok. They're on Law Talk, Ayana, Dominique, and Alexis. Um, it's called Black Girls at the Bar. And it's basically a, a podcast where we talk about being Black women in law school and the legal profession, navigating that, navigating um, life as a Black woman in the legal profession, dating as a Black woman in the legal profession, um, things like that. We haven't really been filming episodes lately. We have one official episode up, which is my dating podcast. Um and some content yet to come but we have so many ideas and so much to talk about it's just honestly been a matter of getting all four of us to sit down and you know and record an episode um but we're kind of working through the kinks that come with scheduling and things like that you know discussing is it easier to have two people on one week and then two people on the next maybe one person and a guest something like that to make it more sustainable because I feel like it's going to be easy for us to burn out but get tired of it if it's like all four of us having kind of the same conversations um you know not able to get together every other week to record and things like that so um it's been a learning experience we definitely at the beginning I remember you guys would ask me like when is it launching and I'm like hell if I know (laughs) (laughs) so I'm just happy we were able to get one episode up but it's coming it's coming (laughs) y'all yeah it's also for people who are so busy like there's just so much going on in everyone's lives yeah and it's interesting because I feel like it's always the people who like as black women in law school like we have to be law students and then they also want us to be like DEI educators and like the president of like this club that club the treasurer of this club and that club um student ambassadors and things like that and so we always have like a million things on our plate and then we're also trying to reach out and um kind of connect with other people who want to be in the same position as us who want to be black women in the legal profession so it's definitely tough like being extremely busy and then also kind of um doing this which is really fun but it also does I guess take a toll on you because we are talking about the effects of being or like the experience of being a black woman in a predominantly white male profession yeah it's like you're always expected to be the teacher an unpaid teacher I'm a paid teacher, heavy on that because people don't know how to open their purse. Yeah. <laughs> Especially law schools. You will never get paid for the work that you do for a law school. Oh, no. Nope. Literally. So much unpaid labor in law school. Now we're going to get into something even more ridiculous. So the meat of this episode is to talk about the bar exam and in a way, like its exceptions to get barred without Mm -hmm. taking the bar so let's talk about the bar first what is the bar exam I feel like we've never like defined it we've just like talked about it oh god so the bar exam is the exam you have to take and pass to be admitted to the bar which is your state's bar association um so that you're actually able to practice law it's big old test it's a big old test it's two days if you're in like a UBE jurisdiction you have three different sections of the test one is called the MPT and it's basically like a 1L legal writing memo that you write um in a hundred and wait in 120 minutes no not even you get 90 minutes um Yeah, so you get like all of the documents that you can pull facts from and you get cases and statutes and and things like that. Um, And you write a memo um, or a will or whatever they ask you to write. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, And then you have essay questions, like short answer essay questions that are your typical law school final short essay questions where it's basically an issue spotter question 
Um, and then you have an entire day of multiple choice questions. She's a doozy. She is hearing game anxiety. <laughs> I'm like, I'm gonna be so honest. Before three L year, I didn't even know that the MPT was a thing. Like I thought it was just the short answer questions and the multiple choice. Yeah, I, I'm gonna be honest. That's the first time I heard this. I've heard this. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that until I took like a bar prep class at my school. <laughs> like you know, that actually makes sense because my school makes us take, we call it the baby bar because of like, you know, Kim Kardashian stuff, but they call it the preliminary bar and ha- like some of that is an MPT. And so I, yeah, <laughs> I probably should have known. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like it's also like, if you're doing it at the law school, you could just be like, okay, this is like a legal writing thing that they're making us yeah. do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm doing it. I'm taking it in New York. I've been studying for, I think this is my third week studying. I've done three weeks of studying. And then I have until July 25th. To still study. Mm-hmm. Some other stuff that goes along with the bar too is you have to take the MPRE and, yeah. and if you're like Brianna and you're taking the bar in New York, you have to take the New York what exam? Yeah, it's called the New York law exam. And before you take the exam, you have to watch like 20 hours of recorded lectures. Um, and there are like multiple choice questions after every lecture and you have to answer them. And if you get them wrong, you have to rewatch the lecture. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go in and you take the exam. I believe it was two hours. Um, multiple choice questions. You find out if you pass, but you don't find out your score, which is like odd. You only find out your score if you fail. Oh. Yep. And then MPRE, which I took back in November, but you can technically take it after you take the bar in New York. And then I do character and fitness after the exam. Oh, that's so Wait, interesting. Character and fitness is after? Character and fitness in New York is after the bar exam. Whoa. That is so clever. I don't, I don't know how I feel about that because like it's so much money and then you might not even pass character and fitness. Right? Isn't that like, I mean, I'm not concerned about passing character and fitness but it does just seem odd after. And then because New York also requires everyone go in for an interview, not just people who have been flagged. Everyone goes in for an interview. Um, It takes forever for you to actually be admitted to the bar. So um, I probably have a whole year until I'm admitted to the bar and an attorney. This is making things make a lot more sense now because some of the people that I do follow on Law Talk who took the New York bar last summer, I was wondering why I was taking them so long to get sworn in. Like, Mm -hmm. so long. I was like, oh, they decided not to be an attorney. Yeah, like, why are you still a law clerk? What's going on? Well, even, um, like, even if... I am, say like I'm sworn in in June of 2024. At my firm, I am a law clerk for the entire first year of employment. I will not be upgraded to an attorney until November, 2024. Wow. Because they're like super serious about like clients being able to understand where you are in the process and not calling you a lawyer or an attorney. And then I think probably just like employment reasons, they decide to do it for an entire year. Damn. Uh, Do they give you a second chance to take the bar if you don't pass the first time? Okay. Yeah, you do get a second chance to take the bar if you don't pass the first time. Um, I've been told that there have been people who have had to take it three times, um, but I think the general consensus with any employer is if you fail after the second time, 
your employment offer is rescinded. Um, and I mean, at public defender's offices and stuff like that, if you fail once, your offer is rescinded. Like they just don't have time to wait around for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially because like firms and like your firm is helping you pay for the bar and the process and transportation housing when you take it. Because that's another thing to consider is like if you're taking the bar in another state, different from where you're going to law school, there's like all these other costs that you're incurring. Also on top of that, Will you get to pick which, like, courthouse you get sworn in? Or, like, how is that going to work there, like, in New York? Do you know? I haven't gotten any information about that. I literally just, that like, this past week got to pick the location that I take the test in. Okay. Yeah. And all of the law students who go to school in New York get first dibs at the locations. So by the time I got access, there were no more locations in New York City. Um, I'm taking it in Albany. There's not even a direct flight from Raleigh to Albany. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, my firm does pay for everything, but something that I think maybe like is not communicated as much is that they pay for it in the sense that they will refund you at your first paycheck, which is months and months later. Oh God. Um, so I do get, I'm lucky. I get a salary advancement. Um, they sent, they told me they sent it out today. So like, Slay. Coming Slay. Soon. Um, however, it's $15,000 and um, basically that's supposed to be a front, like it's fronting all of my costs for the bar exam, moving to New York, um, and then like first month's rent in New York. And by the time you account for all of that, there's not a ton left of that yeah, like, advancement to like actually pay for your living expenses. 15k between now and November like when you think about it like with the bar like everything that you're talking about and moving to New York City it's really not that much paying first month rent in New York City where rent is going to be like at least double what I'm paying here it's fun big things big things coming soon (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. That like law clerk thing really just like contextualized a lot of things that I was confused about mm-hmm. so well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We don't even get, um, we don't get business cards. <gasps> you don't even get business cards. Mm-hmm. Oh mm-hmm. my God. This feels like hazing. Yes. Um, talking about the MPRE, if you're going to law school in Wisconsin and you plan on getting barred in Wisconsin, you do not have to take the MPRE, and you also do not have to take the bar. You only have to take a bar exam if you plan on practicing in another state and plan on being admitted to the bar in another state. So Wisconsin, the whole state, is just like a very strange, complicated exception to being barred through the bar exam. Because the process, like by the end of it, you graduate, and then if you turned in your character and fitness in time um you get sworn in the monday after graduation so saturday to monday you graduate monday you become an attorney it's very quick and it's been interesting to see how things roll out for some people at the school who didn't turn in their character and fitness in time and so then are being sworn in on different days it's always a monday I don't know if it's like that in every other state, but it's always a Monday. And if you didn't have your stuff turned in in time, you get sworn in on a different day. And then like, there's this whole like race to see who gets sworn in on like the day that everybody's supposed to. So some tea, some tea there. That feels so arbitrary. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that you guys didn't have to take the MPRE. Wow. No MPRE MPRE scheduled for August 9th. So I'll be studying for like two weeks before. Super fun. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, the bar exam is a joke. Like it just, 
it doesn't test your your adequacy of, of doing legal work at all. Law school doesn't really either. So I maybe everyone's just fucked. Um, <laughs> maybe we should all just do clinics. Maybe actually we should go back to apprenticeship. Like like being a blacksmith apprentice, like we should all just be legal apprentices again. Yeah, I think that you should have to take, you know, a year or two of law school and then a year or two of being an apprentice because that's what actually happens, right? Even when you go to these firms, they expect you to walk in and not know how to do literally anything other than IRAC. That's, they they want you to be able to do IRAC and they want you to be able to use Westlaw or Lexis, which is, you just learned that in like one singular class, like your legal writing class, your one all year. Um searches. God. Yeah. Everything else is just like, this might one day maybe come up. Like evidence, I guess, is pretty relevant if you want to be a litigator. Yeah. <laughs> but like, Unless it's civil and then it low-key doesn't matter half the time. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it, yeah, neither the bar, bar exam nor law school are very relevant to practice as an attorney, mm-hmm. um, which I think makes bar prep really difficult because it feels so fake. (laughs) Something that's been interesting is that since Wisconsin doesn't require the bar, a bunch of states have also been trying to get the same, like states that have not a lot of law schools because Wisconsin only has two. And so there's like a whole fight about that. And I, every year, like the deans of the Wisconsin schools have to fight to make sure that we still have diploma privilege and it's just like this whole that's a whole thing every single year where they're like you guys are so fortunate dirt 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 okay yes whatever um it's something that I didn't even know about when I was applying to law schools didn't even consider when I was applying to law schools it just worked out that way and I was like okay bonus um but with the NPRE like the reason we don't have to take it is because it is built into all of our 1L classes so we basically do that material within our 1L classes, look at things from an ethical perspective, and then we still have to take like professional responsibility on top of that. We just don't have to take the test. That's so odd. Mm-hmm. I think, I, I mean, if I were choosing between law students having to take the MPRE or the bar exam, I think I'd want them to take the MPRE. Me too. That's why I'm like shook that they don't have to take it. I, I like I under I am all for diploma privilege. I abolish the bar, you know. But MPRE, that's a little strange to me. Like that's gonna be through a loop. I know. It it also like doesn't super make sense to me in like with the context of what is required for character and fitness. Like it's obviously intense. It's intense everywhere. Um, but like the threshold for like who can still like get through character and fitness is like really high and the example that is always used is that this girl who caught like a giant drug charge like huge drug charge and then lied about it on her character and fitness still got barred like the supreme court of wisconsin had to take a vote to see if she could get barred or not because the board of examiners was like "Mm, we don't think so uh but she it was like five to four and she got barred. So she got to be an attorney, even though she lied about having a drug charge and then was confronted about lying, lied again. So <laughs> See, the issue to me there is not the drug charge. It's lying about it and then doubling down. Yep. Yep. I'm like, everybody can see cap you. Everybody can see what you did. <laughs> That's. Don't lie. Don't lie on character and fitness. Even the smallest thing can get caught. Even something you don't think is a lie could literally get caught. That's like, why I'm like trying to compile a list of everywhere I've lived for however many years and trying to make sure I don't miss somewhere where I was for a little while just in case. No, because me and Sophie were talking about this last week when we were recording. 
because I didn't have a permanent address for a few months because my parents had been evicted from their home and I was just bouncing around around. And I genuinely do not know what I'm supposed to do. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to have to call them and figure it out. Yeah. If I leave. Do you want all the houses or. Like, do I have to list everyone that I like couch surfed with? I don't know. Yeah. It feels like there are rules, but the rules are quite unclear. Quite unclear. That's another thing about the bar exam and applying to the bar is that uh, everything is so unclear and all of the technology, all of the software is from like 2002. I like, I swear to God, you go to the New York Board of Law Examiner's website. I don't think it's been updated in 20 years. Oh my God. That's insane. That's ridiculous. God. Originally, when I originally um, applied, it like didn't go through. And I didn't know that it didn't go through at first. Um, And then I remember when you were talking about that. Yeah, I was like texting my friends who were also applying in New York and being like, did you get like a submit screen? Like, did anything happen? Did you get a confirmation email? Because other things I've done and they just don't give you a confirmation email. That's bizarre. It actually didn't go through. Fun. Um, thinking back to the timeline of character and fitness character and fitness is like the first due date is in December of your 3L and anytime after that you have to pay more money for like however late it is and so you do character and fitness first and then you graduate and grades come out super fast because they have to make sure that everybody actually graduated and so grades come out fast and then you're sworn in the Monday after graduation. So character and fitness goes first for us. That's how it is in North Carolina too. You do character and fitness and submit it. I think it's like the end of December. Although I don't know if that's because of the program that I'm in or just in general, you have to do character and fitness first. But I feel like in New Hampshire, you have to do character and fitness first. Yeah. Speaking of. Yes. Segue. <laughs> Can you explain the program that you are in? Yes. So it's called the Daniel Webster Scholars Honors Program. It was started, in, I believe, 2005. And basically, um, they try to make it clear that it's not diploma privilege. Um, it's a two-year bar practicum. And so it's an alternative to taking the New Hampshire bar exam. So what it is, is um, two years of courses that are meant to make you client ready upon graduation. So on top of all of the required courses that you take um, as a law student after 1L, you have to take a pretrial advocacy course, um, trial advocacy, negotiations, um, a class that's that teaches you about like family law and things like that, um, business transactions. And I think I'm missing one, but those are basically the main ones. Um, oh, and then there's a capstone class where you basically learn how to interview clients and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so basically they're trying to emphasize um, skills that you will actually use as an attorney rather than things that you'll be tested on um, for the bar exam. And so you apply during the spring of your 1L and then you hear back in like the first or second week of June. So I found out June 10th of last year. And I actually got some text messages from people that told me that they got in, which they're they're not supposed to tell you until they give you the okay because some people don't get in and then they're really upset about it. And then they find out because they didn't get an email and other people did. So they haven't even sent out like rejections yet. But anyways, um, and then you spend the next two years taking your required courses and then your um or courses for the DWS program, we call it DWS for short. Um, 
So yeah, the interview process is basically like um, you send an application with an essay, answer some questions. They talk to your legal writing professor, your research professor, because they're two different courses at UNH. Um, and then your fundamentals of law practice professor. They talk to them about like how you did. And then you interview with a member of or an alum of the DWS program. So this is already a practicing attorney that went through the program themselves or probably like five or 10 years into practice, if not more, um, if that makes any sense. I don't know if that makes sense with the calculations, but anyways. So um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And then a committee decides whether or not you get into the program. They only accept 24 students every year, which is really sad to me because our class is like 135 people. And I personally just think everyone should have the experience of being in the program because it's such valuable experience. I've gotten to learn amazing like trial advocacy skills, amazing negotiation skills, and just great client interviewing skills. Um, and so I think everybody should have the opportunity. But I also understand why they don't because they need like a lot of money to be able to run the program. Um, but I do think that it's something that everybody should be offered because it's been like the best thing I've ever done. I've never been a star in like doctrinal courses. So being able to showcase things that I'm actually good at has been a really good experience. And I wish everybody else could have it. Yeah. You mentioning the required classes reminded me that we're required to take evidence, trust in estates and professional responsibility. All of those have to be taken. And then we also have like extra requirements on top of it because to keep the diploma privilege the ABA has us doing a lot of super strict stuff so we just have like a lot more requirements than other schools do and less flexible schedules kind of like your program where it's like there's a set there are set classes that you have to take and you really have no choice okay that actually makes sense then because like hearing that you guys you know don't even have to take the NPRE I mean I don't know if they're related to professional responsibility but um, it makes sense that they have you take other classes so that you um, are sworn in. Oh, and kind of similar to you, um, I'm sworn in. So I'm sworn in the day before graduation. I'm, I graduate on a Saturday and then I'm sworn in on a Friday. So it's kind of weird because I become an attorney before I even graduate law school. Oh my gosh. That's so weird. Wild. I know. It's like I wake up one day, like not a lawyer. I wake up another day. I am a lawyer, but I haven't graduated law school yet. It's so strange. That's so, well. so at UNC, you don't have to take any required classes other than PR after your 1L year. Um, most people end up taking classes like evidence, uh, mostly for the bar exam, though, um, because heavily, heavily tested on the bar, by the way, in case you wanted to know. Um, but no diploma privilege, no way to escape taking the bar if you go to UNC. And honestly, most schools, most schools do not have any program like that. No. New Hampshire, uh, UNH is the only school in the country that has a program like that, that isn't a, a diploma privilege. So it's like akin to diploma privilege, but it's the only school that has a program like that. Yeah. Yeah. Your like requirements sound even stricter than ours because ours is by category. So you have to take um, a procedural class, you have to take a perspective class, and you have to take a public law class. So there's like multiple options in there. It's usually like five to six different classes in there that you have to pick one. Um, but it can include like federal Indian law, um, advanced civil procedure, um, What's the other one that I was thinking yes. about? That sounds miserable. Yeah, I would, I'm not taking that. Um, there's local government law. Oh, and then our other requirement is you also have to take an advanced legal research class. That's one of the other graduation requirements. I will say we do have requirements if you're on academic probation. <laughs> but that's it. Like if you <laughs> And that's it. Like they're not widely discussed if you're not on academic probation. Like I didn't find out until my last semester that if you're on academic probation at UNC, you have to take advanced legal research and uh, the bar prep class. Oh, damn. But it's yeah. not like separate. So it's not like all of the academic probation people are stuck together or anything like that. No, no. You, 
anyone can take advanced legal research and anyone can take the bar prep class. Um, you just have to take them. And there's only like one class of advanced legal research and one bar prep class per semester. They have us. Um, so we don't have that if you're on academic probation, but the preliminary bar exam that I talked about earlier, they have all of the one else take it. So if you fail it, you have to take either the bar prep course or um, it's a legal writing class, writing for practice. You have to take, you have to choose one of those. Um, but if you're in DWS, then you, um, the pre-trial advocacy course that you take counts for that. So you don't have to. Do you know what the pass rate is for your guys' like baby bar? Oh God, um, I failed. Um, so I retook it, <laughs> but it was like, um, it was so frustrating because I passed every single multiple choice section. Like I got like a perfect score on some of the sections and none of the essays, not a single essay, but I passed or I failed one of the essays by 4%, which was so annoying because I know because the essays came at the end. So I know I got lazy because like it didn't count for anything. Like it wasn't. So yeah. Um, that happened. I assume most people pass simply because there was like 30 of us that had to retake it. And there's like 130 of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, didn't pass that. A lot of my friends didn't like out of my whole entire group chat, only one of us passed. Oh, <laughs> wow. I don't know what that says about me and my friends. <laughs> we yeah. were all like, out of there with the one else. <laughs> I do feel like, like the funny thing about the essay questions, like during bar prep, you do a lot of these essay questions and you self grade them. And I feel like I can feel vastly different about how I did on one of the essay questions and come out with the same score. Like I can be like, yeah, I killed that and like get the same score as one I'd be like, I don't think I want like had one correct statement of law in that question i feel like when i take the bar i'm gonna be like making things up so i can have something right that's what they tell you to do they tell you if you do not know the like the rule of law in that situation to make one up and apply it to the facts because that's how you get points, right? Because yeah. you don't write anything, you're not going to get any points. Yeah. So you literally just make it up. Like, right. I'm sure this this is teaching us how to be fantastic lawyers. The thing that freaks me out about that, though, is like when you write something, like in a way you can start believing that it's true. So if you keep writing like a wrong thing, like in your brain, it could like fuck you up. It could trick you up. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> I don't think you will ever rewrite two <laughs> of the the fake rules on like a regular bar prep course because each of the essays covers like a different sub area oh. of the law. But it really is you just be you just be making shit up. And then I'm so short, you can like submit a certain amount of essays to be graded by Barbary. Mm-hmm. And I'm so sure there is grade deflation there. Like, I I think that they tell everyone that they got lower than they actually would have gotten because I, like, self-graded one of my essays because they give you, like, literally they give you this checklist and it's like, this is worth this many points, this is worth this many points. And then at the end, you, like, take your points and translate it into the grade you would get um and like the grade that I got self-grading myself was a lot higher than the grade I got back from Barbary do they do that to help you I think they do that to freak you out to be like oh my god I I have to work so much harder at essays like because they want you to study harder than you think you have to I feel like I need that. Like I, cause if I'm too confident that I'm going to be like, okay, I got this. So I'd rather think that I'm doing worse and do better than think I'm doing well and then bomb it. It makes sense. It's not a, it's not a bad strategy. So what's going to be your bar exam situation? What are you going to do? 
Me? Me? No, Renell. Oh. Oh, I'm I'm still taking the bar. I was just talking about this with um one of the attorneys that works at the firm that I'm at this summer. And one of my friends, like my fellow intern, he's in the same program as me. And he just asked me if I was taking the bar. And I was like, yeah, I'm taking the bar. There is one attorney that works there who is also an alum of the program I'm in. And she was like, you're an idiot. Like, why are you still sitting for the bar? And I was like, girl, I love her. So like, it was all, you know, fun and games. But um, I don't want to be tied down to New Hampshire for, because yeah, I'm going to be sworn in. But that doesn't like translate anywhere else for like, what, five years? Like, I can't be tied down to New Hampshire for that long. Like, I think I'm going to go to the firm that I'm at right now after graduation. But, like, anything could happen. I could spend, like, two years there and then decide that I hate it. So, like, I want to have the option to go elsewhere at any point in my career. That and I feel like if I have to sit down for this exam, like, a year after I graduate – I'm going to lose my mind. Like there's going to be no other, to me and Brienne were talking about this, like there's going to be no other time where I'm not working and where I can just like focus on taking the test and studying for the test. And so I just feel like it's the smart decision to um, just to just take it. And, you know, if I don't pass, then, you know, it doesn't matter because I'll be barred in New Hampshire and I can find a job here. But if I do, then I have that in my back pocket for um, whenever. Hey, what about you? Which, you but which which state are you going to take it in? Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah, I feel like people that like aren't from New England, um, kind of don't like get how close like all of these states are. I literally just have to take like a thirty minute drive, and I'm in Mass, so <laughs> I'm just going to take it to Massachusetts, and um, that'll be that. I'll be barred in Mass, and I'll be barred here, and it'll be a great day to be a lawyer. It'll be a good situation. Um, I think the main option for the bar for me would be to take the UBE and sit in Illinois. That would just make the most sense, like mm-hmm. money wise and geographically too. And I mean, I could realistically see myself living in Chicago as well, because the thing about diploma privilege is like, yes, it's super nice, but it's definitely most beneficial to people who 100% want to stay. Because it does limit like your transferability to other states, um, because each state has a different like rule regarding the Wisconsin diploma privilege. So if you want to go somewhere else, there's some states who are like, no, like you have to take the bar here. Uh, there are some states where if you practice for a certain amount of time, they're like, mm, we'll consider it, and you have to do like whole petition. So. Realistically, if I want to go somewhere else, like Illinois is the easiest. And also, like, if I have a UBE, I have a UBE. Um, But at the same time, a lot of the things that I'm interested in, like further down the line in my career, don't necessarily require like a different bar. Um, Because like in-house positions, you don't have to take the bar of wherever the state of the headquarters are in. Um, You just have to be barred. And then on top of that, accounting firms, they it also doesn't matter. So you don't have to be barred where the headquarters are of the accounting firms either. So I think because of the things I'm interested in, I don't feel as much pressure to figure it out right now. Um, so yeah, so I really don't know. I haven't decided yet. But also like the bar exam is changing in 2026. So that would only be two years after I graduate. So I don't know. I, I still don't know. <laughs> Good point. The bar exam is changing. I'm jealous. I'm very jealous. <laughs> I'm so jealous. Um, but would you say like in, in both of your programs, how many people do decide to take a bar exam? Do most of them just like use that diploma privilege or use the program to practice in the state or do a good amount take an exam somewhere? For me, I would say about half decide to still take it because the vast majority of students at UNH Law come from outside of New Hampshire um, Mm -hmm. and outside of New England, too, which is really weird, in my opinion. Um, (laughs) A lot of people don't even come from UNH, like the University of New Hampshire, which is strange. Um, Mm -hmm. So I would say about half the people, so like 12, end up taking the bar because they're 
planning on leaving New Hampshire after graduation. And when they select people for the program, they do a mixture of people that want to stay in New Hampshire and people that want to leave because they want DWS alum to be living all across the country. That's kind of their goal. That's That's cool. Um, Ours is definitely a little bit different because my class at least is like 50-50. So it's 50% Wisconsin residents, 50% out-of-staters. And honestly, everybody does the diploma privilege. You like basically automatically qualify if you pass character and fitness and if you graduate. So everybody automatically gets barred in Wisconsin because of that. Um, Most years, they don't have any issues with character and fitness. There were some this year. So there are some people who didn't get diploma privilege in the end um, and are not barred. But honestly, a lot of people don't take the bar. And a lot of people just use the diploma privilege, but we have alum literally everywhere. So people do definitely end up taking it. And some people end up taking multiple. Um, And there's also a lot of people who take the Wisconsin one, which is very strange. Like a lot of Wisconsin residents will come back and take the Wisconsin bar. Um, They'll like go to a better school or whatever, higher ranked school in quotations, but then come back and practice in Wisconsin. So it's like, why? Like, what was the point? Like, why would you do that? I feel like, I mean, obviously you could decide that that's the best thing for you after you're done law school, but if you already knew, then that's such a waste of time. Yeah, literally, literally, especially because there are two very good options for very different reasons. So it's just a little bit odd to me. Um, But I would say the people who come for, like, the specific programs at the schools, so, like, like UW-Madison has, like, a really good federal Indian law program and, like, some certain, like, litigation tracks. So if people come for that, like, they might just be coming for that and then leave. Um, For Marquette, people will come for, like, sports law and um, alternative dispute resolution so if they're just coming for that a lot of them leave like a lot of the sports law people will leave so I'd say ours is closer to like 80 20 like I would probably say like at least 80 percent of people stay wow I wonder if that's like um the state bar needs an incentive for people to stay there instead of going and practicing in a bigger market oh yeah especially for rural areas Like, it's crazy out here. Like, there's no access. Like, the, like, northernmost Wisconsin, which is called the Northwoods, like, we have a legal aid called Judicare, and they service, like, all of northern Wisconsin, but they're literally located in Wausau, which is, like, sort of central Wisconsin. So it's not even, like, truly up north. So there's just, like, so many areas that just do not have legal resources whatsoever and then on top of that Wisconsin has I want to say nine or eleven recognized tribes and they all have their own tribal councils so we also have a lot of federal Indian attorneys Mm -hmm. who work in those tribal courts too. Interesting yeah I feel like with North Carolina there isn't really much of an incentive to make it any easier to stay in North Carolina because there are so many law schools here and like no one who goes to Duke stays in North Carolina Mm -hmm. it is uh Duke is just a section of New Jersey that got lost and found itself in North Carolina um (laughs) like UNC is about half and half half of the people stay half of the people leave um but all of the other schools like Campbell and Central and Elon and High Point's opening a school, like all of those people stay here. Wow. Yeah. High Point's opening a law school? I think it's High Point. If it's not, it's App State. I get them confused and I I shouldn't get them confused because they're like vastly different vibes. Yeah, I feel like it also depends like what sort of the makeup of the people who attend the schools and also just like state loyalty. Like I feel like there's or even like state patriotism almost like I feel like Wisconsin has a really high level of like state patriotism, state loyalty, whatever. Like Wisconsin people are obsessed with Wisconsin, like obsessed. 
Yeah. I mean, I think North Carolina is too. And I think like particularly people who go to UNC are very obsessed with UNC, like more than I have ever seen anyone be obsessed with the school that they go to. It's almost concerning. Um, (laughs) But it's just like a type where they're fine with leaving but you go to New York and if you meet someone from North Carolina, if you meet someone who went to UNC, they will never shut up about going to UNC or being from North Carolina. And like, I will be one of those people. I already know it. <laughs> yeah. At least you're honest. <laughs> Self-awareness is key. Self-awareness is the first step. <laughs> I am so aware. People are going to be shocked and surprised when they find out that I'm not from North Carolina. <laughs> So true. Okay. Ronald, do you have any advice for somebody who's interested in your program? Also, did you know about it when you applied there or was it something that you find you found out about 1L? I did know about it, but I didn't know exactly what it was. So on our like law school, like on the application, you can actually indicate whether or not you're interested in the program. And so what they they've gotten away from this, but what they used to do is pre-admit like three or four people before the actual school year and those people would resubmit their information go through the process but they would be pre-admitted and so as long as they got like a 3.0 the first semester then they'd be admitted to the program Um, and so I indicated interest but I didn't go through with the interview process because I was um, kind of I guess I wasn't too confident that I'd get in or that like I was worthy of being in something called the Daniel Webster Scholars Honors Program because the word honors Mm -hmm. is in it Um, so I guess my advice would be to just shoot your shot. You know, I feel like a lot of people kind of, I guess, go back and forth. Like, is it for me? Should it like, am I worthy of being in the program? Am I smart enough, smart enough? Am I this, this and that? And I think it's a really great program for people who feel like they're not the the gunner. They're not the person that's getting straight A's or not the person that's, um, really able to showcase their strengths in the classroom when you're not doing practical things. And so, I would just say shoot your shot, you know, if you if you decide it's not for you, then you can actually um, decline your acceptance to the program. But I would say that it's a good idea to just apply. Yeah, for sure. The um, the doubting yourself, I feel like is really strong at the beginning of law school. And then once you get through law school and you meet enough people in law school and you meet enough people in the legal field, you're like, oh, okay. So like these people aren't abnormally smart or competent people. They're just people. Exactly. Right. I think, <laughs> I think it's hard to believe that like everybody who like gets this educated is somehow very special. No, we're not. I think it's funny when people are like, when they try to like roast me and they're like, you're in law school and you don't know this, this and that. And I'm like, I'm the least of your worries. You should see who they let walk walk through those doors to rest and you have the least of your worries oh my god yeah it's you you will meet and become friends with people who are so absolutely insanely smart and you will meet and become friends with people and you are like I cannot believe you have made it this far in life not even like this far meaning you got through college and got into law school, like, I am surprised that you have kept yourself alive until this yeah. point. Like, lack of sense. Just no sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a mix. Law school is a mix. And I think we have this, like, collective idea that the people who get into law school are, like, super smart, like, always wanted to be lawyers, like, um, amazing students, really good, like, home life background. No, 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 no. No. Mm-mm. So I had someone ask me today if uh, people in law school were super serious. And I was like, I wish. The most unserious human beings I have ever come across. Yep. Uh, really? It's a, to, to keep things PG, it's a goofy place. It's a goofy time. It's so a goofy time. time. all right any closing remarks any last thoughts my brain 
has been liquefied and re-solidified every night for the past three weeks. Um, and I don't recommend taking the bar exam if you do not have to. <laughs> Everybody that's going to be listening to this that isn't already in law school, so starting with the zero L's right now, they all get to take the fun new bar. So none of the people who are not in law school yet that are listening to this, congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> but also, also, it is so super scary that you're going to take the bar before any of these bar vendors know enough about it to like adjust successfully. Yeah. Yeah. So the first set of people, you guys are the guinea pigs, the zero L's right now, the rising one L's. Okay. That's all for this week's episode of the in-laws. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the in-laws pod. We post these full length episodes every Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. So make sure to follow and rate the podcast or whichever streaming service you're listening on and make sure to follow Ronell at Ronell underscore underscore. Talk to you next week. Bye.